0: Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around, following rules, and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. I am super excited today on Career Crashers to have uh, my good friend, David Kirby. David, welcome to the show.
1: Isaac, always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, so um, David and I worked together years ago. We were both working for a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and we both spent many years kind of working our way up through various nonprofit organizations, educational organizations um, in the D.C. area and and elsewhere for myself. And we both made a similar career move, uh, which was to leave jobs that were meaningful to us. We were pursuing causes and and things that we believed in. Uh, We were getting paid well. We had like been achieving success uh, in the nonprofit world. And we both had families and decided we're going to quit all that security and try to start an educational company. So I want to talk a little bit about that big, scary transition. That was a lot of words without asking you a question, which is a no-no if you're a host, but I have a problem (laughs) with that. So, so let's start with when you were working in the nonprofit world. When was there a point when you felt like maybe just staying on this trajectory and someday becoming the president of a pre-existing organization? Uh, maybe that's not for me. Th- th- was there something that started to itch?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you, I'm sure you can relate to this. It was the donors because they're all entrepreneurs. And I had this nagging feeling of jealousy. Like, I should be on that side of the table. These guys are amazing. Like, the stuff that they've done, the stories they tell, the success that they've had, and they're in a position to, like, philanthropically give back to things that they love. I'm like, gosh, um, I feel like that's what I should have done. But, you know, what's so hard, I I was listening yesterday to your awesome podcast with Jeff Sandifer, and I think he was saying, like, there's three things that motivate an entrepreneur. Either it's, like, overcoming a daddy issue, some sort of, like, parent thing, or, like, maybe you really struggled as a child. And so fear is, like, you know, a big thing for you. It's, like, I can take a risk. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Or... Everything went right for you. You went to good colleges, and it's like fear of failure that prevents you from taking the jump. And I was like, ah, that third one. That's like, that's totally me. <laughs> like, because you're sitting across, and you're like, oh man, but I did everything right to get here, and yet I'm seeing on the other side of the table this other path, um, mm-hmm. and that's that was that's the big jump. Um, I would say, and I
0: no that it's funny you mentioned that because that's that's one of the things that impressed me the most about when you decided to start um acting academy and we're going to talk about that because i think you and i are similar in a lot of ways but but i felt like when i first met you especially we're very different in that you were already like a sharp like i would say high status like everything about you externally said success And, you know, I, I come from like small town Midwest. I went to a crappy community college and a crappy state college and like nothing about my resume looks particularly prestigious, but you kind of had like the look of, I guess, that traditional status success. And I have almost never seen P. It's very hard, I think, for people to break out of that and start from scratch and be Humbled by the entrepreneurial journey, so tell me about that was that a, was that a, a challenge for you to overcome, and maybe I'm projecting onto you, but no. that's you know, from the well, outside
1: I mean uh this is probably too too much information, but um you know, I grew up in a family of prestige, you know, my grandparents were diplomats um and they would sit this down as like young children, and it's like what profession would you like to be? Would you like to be a lawyer, an architect, an academic, or a doctor? You choose, whichever <laughs> is fine. <laughs> Which top college would you like to go to? Is it Harvard? Is it Princeton? Uh, UPenn? Cornell? You choose. <laughs> Any of them are fine, right? And so there was just this unbelievable expectation of prestige. And <clears throat> I don't know why it's in me, or but I just having gone through all of those institutions of prestige, having followed that path, I always had this like nagging feeling inside that if I was being honest with myself, it was all kind of mediocre. <laughs> like, and it sounds like a little, but it's like, Harvard was not all that. Like when I went there, I'm like, gosh, this is it. This is the pinnacle <laughs> is the educational achievement. This is kind of lame. in fact, I felt like I learned more from my, like, contrarian friends, reading blogs, like, hanging out with the economists that I happened to meet along the way, like, the entrepreneurs. Like, they were the ones who I felt like I was getting more real with, you know? And so all that prestige just had that, like, feeling of mediocrity. And and maybe that was the thing that made me able to just take that step
0: man that's a that's a great insight it's funny i I think there's maybe like two two things that can push somebody to to take a big risk. one is if you haven't achieved anything and therefore you have nothing to lose, the other one is if you achieve what you were going for and then you realize like oh <laughs> you know or like sometimes you know in in a profession like you'll be around the people who are the best of the best, and there's some element of like Not necessarily that they're not good or good at what they do, but there's all this is what this is how you overcome imposter syndrome, right? Is that you realize everyone's really an imposter, like you realize the people that you thought knew everything are just making it up too, or you realize when you get to the top of the mountain that it's not the greatest thing in the world and that maybe it wasn't your mountain in the first place, it was somebody else's. So that's really interesting. That takes a lot of self honesty, but furthermore, this wasn't just like a mental challenge, like psychological. Now I got to shift gears from this sort of visible prestige thing and, and go be an entrepreneur. This was like a real risk from a financial standpoint. I mean, you you were married and I think you had a child already when you started uh, Acton Academy. So what was the process of, I, I guess, take me through and then I'll, I'll, I won't interrupt. I'll let you take me through. When you kind of went from knowing in the abstract that like you think you wanted more and you liked what you saw in these entrepreneurs you were meeting with and raising money from, to a concrete idea, I want to start this school and I want to quit my job to do it. And then the conversations you and your wife had to like making that happen.
1: Um, gosh, if I were to pick the sequence, um, we had our daughter. We knew we wanted something different for her. Mm-hmm. And there was, it's like parents, like, there's nothing you want to do for love of your child. Nothing. I mean, think of all the crazy stuff parents do for their kids. It's crazy. And so, yes, it was completely crazy to want to start a school, but for the love of a child. Like it was that moment that really kind of started us on there. And and when it got hard, ridiculously hard, it was like, return to that. Like we're doing this for Madeline and and others you know, would join us on the journey, but that, that focus was, was it. And, you know, I don't think, I mean, you had kids way before we did and it's almost impossible before you have a child to know how like completely focused it's like, there's some syringe of like dad's serum that goes into (laughs) final stem. Like the moment the child comes out, you're like, now I know. Like there is this focus. So that definitely was kind of a a key moment for us to say, like Acton's it. And, you know, Jeff talked about the hero's journey, you know, you, you cross that threshold and there's people who help you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was the people who I connected with through my work, who I kind of reached out with to in that early stage to kind of cross that threshold and, and make that step. Um, and I, I had this story I thought I'd just share with you because it was like the moment I knew left the job, <laughs> we're going to do this. And, and I was kind of entering a whole new world. Um, so um, I went to go visit an investor, um, a donor ph- philanthropist, a guy named Chris. And um, When I was ready to do this, I left the job. And, um, you know, because this is just what I do. I wrote a 15-page prospectus. It was like this beautifully crafted document. Like, I had the slide deck. The narrative was beautiful. Like, and I sent it to him. I said, hey, could I come visit with you? I'd like to ask you if you'd consider, like, helping us get started. And uh, this guy was an entrepreneur. Like, he was the one who I wanted to be across the table. Like, he's just such a hero for me. And I go and visit with him. He's you know, 7 a.m. because that's the time he does his meetings before he gets started with work. We go to like a diner. It's like totally low key. Shows up in like a windbreaker, you know, um, with his company logo on it. And he has read every single word of everything I sent him. And he's got like marginal notes and comments. So we talk about the vision. We talk about what we're trying to do at Acton. And then uh, we finish the conversation, and he says to me, he says, David, I want to help you. But this budget that you've attached, this is a Cato Institute budget, <laughs> this is the institution I had been working for, and by which he means like a 40-year-old institution budget. And he says, David, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you got to learn to be a lot leaner, and a lot more scrappy. So try again. Like, oh. (laughs) And what it was, it was this like super profound moment where it's like, you know, I had gotten to this place, the people who had gotten in the early stage of these institutions I'd worked to, they went through a stage of scrappy startup and like I only saw at the end. And so going back there, it was, such a fun moment for Chris to challenge me. He's like, okay, step on the other side. Like sit in my shoes as the entrepreneur. Um, it's time to buckle up. And it's the best advice I ever got. <laughs> and he he held me so accountable to that. And I'm so glad he did. We, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for, for Chris.
0: That that's a that's such a common story with starting a company. I mean, I went through that myself as well. I, I think anybody who goes to raise money for a company or a nonprofit that's just starting uh like it's universally true that your budget's too big. <laughs> and, and whatever it is it needs to be smaller. And uh I remember, you know, cuz cuz I had worked in these nonprofits and I had often like you kind of been entrepreneurial within a nonprofit to the extent that you can be like, "Hey, I'm going to start a new program or whatever." And so I would put together a new program and I put together a budget and you know, you you take for granted all the budgets you put together and and go pitch because these institutions have long histories with these donors. They have an infrastructure for raising funding for running operations. And so, if you say I'm going to spin up a brand new program that's never been tried before, and we need a million dollar budget for the first two years, you can raise the money for that oftentimes, right? That's not that big of a deal in some of these organizations. When you've never, when this business has never existed before, you've never been an entrepreneur before, and you're like. I'm spinning up a new business. We All we need is a million dollars to get started in the first, you know, year. Like, almost assuredly, that's too much. It's like, okay, well, what can you do with 50000 in the first three months? And then can you prove enough to get 150000 to to last you a year while you're working on the side and you have two part-time interns? You know, it's like, it's just such a... Uh, it forces you to really think about what the core value you're trying to deliver is and the minimum way you can deliver it, which I think is really healthy. It's really healthy. Because if, if it's like, hey, I would go run this business if I knew for sure I had a million dollars sitting there. Well, anybody yeah. would try that, <laughs> you know? So did that, uh, that obviously didn't scare you away from doing it, but did it, did it kind of put the fear of God in you in a good way? It did,
1: yeah, and I think <clears throat> it also um, it was also my first experience with like non philanthropy private capital markets. Very like I just in theory kind of like learned about that through reading it in books, but um, it really it really felt different in the sense of like you don't want to let these people down because they're not really investing in much more than you, like as a person and your ability to execute on the vision that you've painted. And like, it kind of, it felt very different. It was like, no, they're, they're there to help you because they want you to succeed. They're there to hold you accountable. Um, but they're, but the responsibility's like on you and it just felt so different. Um, so it was, I think it was definitely like, a. um, it was kind of lighting a fire um, knowing you somebody's got your back but it's gonna hold you accountable like just all all that and uh, it was just such a different thing than philanthropy, which for people who are so successful yeah there's a lot at stake and, and you and want to deliver value for what you said you did but you know it's not it's just it wasn't the same it just wasn't the same
0: so <clears throat> you put together your your perspectives and and uh, i I, I I don't remember if I saw that particular one or not, but I've seen a lot of stuff. You are incredibly thorough and detailed. Like you put me to shame in terms of <laughs> running your business at a level of like, you know, detail and, and, and thoroughness, but you you were able to raise, what, enough money basically for you to to scrape by while you're trying to get this thing going? Yeah, and,
1: <clears throat> you know, I think the magic for Acton Academy uh, is that the idea is have your own child there at the school. Start small and build a community of families who believe in what you're doing and the thing will grow. And so you don't you don't need a lot of capital to get started. However, I think we were the first Acton Academy that had started in a really high cost city like the Washington DC or San Francisco or New York. And I think the naivete of that story was coming into a city like DC and being like, oh, we're just two parents on a mission. Hey, what's this zoning thing you have to have to open a school in a neighborhood? Oh, yeah, oh. And I guess the, the surprise was just the barriers to entry to start a school in an urban environment in a city like Washington, DC are just very high. And so I think that was the the challenge. It was <clears throat> We had the passion. We I mean, had the vision. And, you know, Acting Academy had been opened in other places. We were taking a model, but adapting it and trying to make it fit in a big city was was just hard. It was just very hard, and, and it had extra barriers with it. So that level of professionalism, I think, was required in some ways because, like, it just it's just a big hump to get over yeah. to get something started.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, because. You know, when I started Praxis, we, we you know, the, the bootcamp's all virtual, so we don't have a physical building or anything like that. Um, and everything is essentially like, you can say, okay, I just need to get that first customer. And once I get a little bit of revenue, then I can afford to do a little more and just build from there. When you're trying to, to do a school, particularly the, the, this, this awesome approach that Acton has, one of the big things is a physical space that is a quality space that parents that can compete with the kind of schools parents who are sending their kids to private schools and other spaces are in a city like that with rent like that. And you can't just you can't just scale it for each student. You can't be like, well, we'll start with a space big enough for two until we get a third student. Right. Like you're, you're talking five year leases. You're talking a building that can accommodate where you're going to be. So that upfront cost is really, really a big, a big challenge. Um, you did something really unique, though. I, th- I think this was quite brilliant. Before the school was live, to build a community and to kind of to kind of prove demand, uh, we, we call it pressure testing on like a on like a UI for an online program where you like put a button up, and the button doesn't actually do anything, but you advertise something that you a feature you might build, and you just see how many times people click on it, and that's a way to test the demand for it, right? So you kind of did um, you created like a children's business fair. Yeah. And created a a lot of buzz around that as a way to kind of build that community. Where did that idea come from?
1: Um Jeff and Lawrence Andover. I mean, that's how they originally started Acton academy. if
0: I think I think
1: the um the sequence was they started the Acton Children's Business Fair before Acton Academy, um just like we did. And you know i wish I wish you know that sequence occurred to me because I'm so brilliant, I could see how this all would unfold, but it wasn't quite like that. Like we started, we tried once with Acton and failed.
0: Mm. Okay. And I
1: first, Dad, Madeline, like we were two naive parents. We came back and we're like, let's do this. You know, she was still an infant, but we're like, well, get started, why not? And found a space in a church basement and like ran into this buzzsaw of insane neighborhood op- op- opposition around zoning. And it was like this first moment that we're like, oh, wow, two naive parents on a mission in Washington, D.C. are cut it. And so just because we had gotten started, we said, well, let's just do the children's business fair. I mean, why not? And all it is for your listeners is it's like a farmer's market, an outdoor farmer's market where kids create a business, make something with their own hands, sell to real customers, have a blast, and maybe they made some profit. It's like so simple we put up white 10 by 10 tents there's like a table it's on a saturday between like 10 a.m and 1 p.m and like that's it it's like really simple setup and what is just so astonishing is like children are just naturally entrepreneurial i mean they just they just can't help but put their curiosity and their passion in this and like the stuff that they do i mean it just brings tears to your eyes it's like so cool to see and all of this community, like parents come out and they're like, oh my gosh, like, what did you do? Like, these kids are like amazing. And we're like, nothing. <laughs> we just said, like, what are you passionate about? What problem could you solve for another human being? And like, what are you going to do with all the money you make? Like, it was that simple. And this is it. And <clears throat> that idea that children are far more capable than we ever imagined, that they Um, given the space to show what they're capable of will, like, blow your mind. Like, that idea is the idea behind Acton. And first year, there was 40 little entrepreneurs, and it was super fun. And then the next year, it was, like, 80. And then the year after that, there was, like, 125 little entrepreneurs or, like, 3,500 customers who came through. The Washington Post sent, like, a crew they covered it in the front page of the Sunday section, on the Metro section. And suddenly, like David and Nicole, two naive parents, were in the middle of a lot of people being like, when are you gonna open Actin? And we're like, ah, we're not ready yet. Ah, like, uh, but we'll take your email. And that totally was the kernel of, hey, we, we've done something, we can show something that we've been able to accomplish at a high level we have a parent email list of families who are interested. There's educators who've been like, hey, whenever you get this started, let me know. That sounds super exciting. And we were able to build a team
0: from that. So give us the pitch on Acton Academy. This, oh, yeah. The school right? you decided to start um, and uh, what what it's all about.
1: Yeah. Uh, sorry for your <laughs> listeners. We probably should have gotten to this earlier in the, um, the conversation. But, um, yeah, when I think about – What is the purpose of education? I went to all those prestigious schools. They are kind of mediocre, but I was being honest with myself. Like, why? And the answer that I think is unique to Acton is it's not just about getting into a prestigious college or starting a job or even finding a career. Those are all means to an end. It's about answering the deep questions. Who am I? Like, what am I good at? What brings me joy? And equally important, where is there a problem out there in the world that I can uniquely solve? And if I can combine those things, something I'm passionate about that brings me great joy, that solves a problem in the world, wow, I can change the world. And what do we call that? We call that a calling. And it's so much bigger than a career. And if you can focus on that, like, what is your calling? And man, education is fun. I mean, there's a lot of hard work, but it's like a journey. It's an exciting journey where you're answering like the most important questions and you have inside of you the ability to solve an important problem in the world and even change the world. And so it just reorients everything and like cut everything else out (laughs) that doesn't help you on your journey. Well, let's Let's think about the experiences that we learn from to help you on your journey, and so it just just neatly answers this question of like why do we spend twelve years doing all this work when we don't know what the purpose is, but Acton does
0: I, I, lo- I love that I mean obviously I'm a big fan of the the mission we in in an earlier episode, as you mentioned, we talked with Jeff Sandfer, who you know originally created this Acton MBA program, but in the process of what they did there, just realizing that in in a way they're receiving, I don't want to say damaged goods, but by the time people are coming to Acton MBA, it's like you have to, and we found this with Praxis, you have to overcome all these mindsets that they have inherited from a very young age that are very follow this track, obey the rules, chase the whatever the good job you're told is for your, you know, wherever you grew up. And you got to kind of like break that down in a way. And so the insight to to start younger and say, hey, let's. What if we worked education from the ground up around this idea of figuring out who you are, what makes you come alive, how you can create value for the world and get value for yourself, and you know find that calling? Um, It's such an amazing mission, and I love that. And I don't think you'd be you would have been successful if this wasn't true. I love that. You pursued starting an acting Academy, one of the earliest acting Academies in DC when you had your own itch to scratch. When you had a daughter and you realized you had been through a very high quality according to sort of traditional standards education. I believe your wife had as well. You said, okay, we get to choose what kind of education we want from the start. What would we want? And when you looked out in the world, you didn't see anything uh, that was existing in DC and you said we we got to create it we got to create that experience so now i want, like it's been, i know you've been through the trenches but looking back i mean it's still early but you you've done it david you've got the school it's real it's here you have students you're you're doing amazing things does that feel like uh, do you feel like you're pursuing your calling do you feel like you've found it or do you feel like you're still striving towards it you know what i mean
1: you know, <clears throat> the the metaphor that we use that act in this hero's journey is like it's like a cycle. You know, you cross the threshold, like I described it did with with Chris. You know, you enter the unknown. There's people who help you. The road of trials. You know, the final showdown, slay the dragon, and now there's the long return home. Like having changed as a person, but then like the adventure begins anew. <laughs> so it's so it's like, yeah, I feel very proud to have gotten here, um, but there's a lot more work to be done. And like, so there's, there's like a new adventure to be had. And, um, you know, it's a poignant moment that we're having this because um, we have a Montessori studio for children ages three to six, and then an elementary studio for first grade through sixth grade. And my daughter just finished her sixth, She's six years old, so her um, her final year in Montessori Primary, and she's moving into elementary. And so, like, she's crossing the threshold, you know? And so, like, we did this for her when she was young, and now she's moving to her next threshold. So, like, I have a new focus on, hey, I know I'm seeing where she's going, and she's no longer like a toddler. She's starting to be like a little girl. And, like, it's just this moment of, oh, wow, there's a new journey to begin. So, I, I kind of feel like, and maybe every entrepreneur feels this way. There's still more work to be done.
0: Always. And, and uh, knowing you, David, I know that you you are not somebody to settle and, and leave well enough alone in, in a great way. And so you have done more than even though you've been in the midst of trying to get this school going and you've, you've, you've started this thing in DC, you've also been working at a second level to essentially... Help others who want to create acton academies in other cities. You've done some training, you've done some advising on on everything you've gone through. Um, is that something that you see being in your future more? Do you want to help this spread to other cities?
1: oh yeah and and I think that's in the DNA of almost every acton um, founder uh, and i and I think Jeff and Laura's great genius is they're just parents who created something in Austin, Texas. There's not a headquarters. Every in is adapted to its own unique place. And so it's going to look a little different in Washington, D.C., than it will in Guatemala, than it will in Chicago, than it will in Kuala Lumpur or South Africa. And that's okay, right? It's serving its own unique community. But the real moment is when you've completed your journey and you're ready to give back. And share your own story with others who you could help, and kind of fan the flames of this movement. There's like a 260 Actin Academies now around the world, and there's 13,000 13,000 parents who applied to start an Actin in the years ahead. You know, taking that first step. So it's like, wow, there's a lot of appetite for thinking differently about all these years we spend with education and, and why we're doing this, particularly after I think COVID, there might be a I think a unique moment here where, you know, maybe parents who've been on the receiving end of distance learning, distance learning, <laughs> and are like, wait, maybe I'm getting like the first up close and personable, personal look at just how mediocre it is what they do every day like ah like do i really want to go back to that and so there might be a moment where i think Acton academies and other alternatives um, suddenly become a lot more palatable or a lot less risky to feel like you're trying um and if actin network and other acting entrepreneurs can kind of help serve those families as they cross that chasm you know, to a new world, then um, I mean, if I can play a role in that, I'd be thrilled.
0: So I have two final questions for you. The first is really simple and quick. Where is the best place for people if they want to learn more about you or what you're working on for them to contact or follow you?
1: So act is our school. And if you're um, interested in the children's business fair, just type uh, act children's business fair. We have a website for one in DC, but there's a whole kit you can get if you're excited and want to just start one in your own city. Um, it's so fun. So valuable. It's so worthwhile. It brings a smile into everyone's face. Your kids will have a blast. So I can't recommend that high enough. Uh, so there go, go check those out.
0: Love it. Final question for you, specifically for people who are in similar shoes that you were, who are kind of um, you know, maybe came up in a family of, of sort of, status and prestigious uh, education background and they feel that same thing you felt like there's got to be a little more, but they're kind of afraid of that, of that risk of, um, you know, breaking away from the respectable career path or education path. Any advice, any thoughts for somebody in those shoes?
1: Find a hero. Hmm. And, and Isaac, I got to give you credit, man. You're my hero.
0: You're one of my (laughs) heroes
1: cuz the part you didn't tell at the beginning is like we worked together but you went first you had the courage like 10 years before i did
0: i had less to lose man <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah but you know i i kind of watched your own path. i've read everything you've written and dude you re- you write a lot i bet you if you would have like sort who opens the most emails from your, like, newsletter. It's probably, like, your mom is number one and, like, me number two. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, a huge fan. And so, <clears throat> you know, you just need somebody who's, like, a peer who you admire who can be, like, that running partner, as we call it in Acton, who's, like, yeah, he's doing it. He'll hold me accountable. Like, I'm seeing somebody who I can relate to, and it turned out okay. It was hard, but that – kind of find a hero who you admire, who you can track and follow. And at least that was for me. And yeah. it doesn't matter who those heroes are. I mean, you know, people pick, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. You know, that's great. There's stories, there's tons to learn there, but they're also a little less approachable. <laughs> so it's kind of finding that 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 person who similarly chose the different path, Isaac, mm. props to you for the courage. And, um, hey, let's wonder what that would look like for me. A hero. I,
0: I love that. And that's, that's a big part of the reason why we do this show is specifically to focus on people who are, who are doing interesting things with their career, who are not so far removed from where you are today that you feel like you can't really relate, but who are just maybe one or two steps ahead, who just took the step that you're thinking about taking or a few steps beyond that. So uh, David, thank you so much for giving us the time and keep up the great work with uh, Acton DC and your help trying to spread this awesome approach to education everywhere.
1: Isaac, always a pleasure.
0: Like what you hear, go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at Isaac at crash.co.